0: Hey there. Welcome to episode 29 of ATL and 29, the podcast that looks at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta, Georgia. My name is Kevin Chenard. On today's episode, we're all about the playoffs. We're going to talk to Ben Standig of Locked On Wizards about the upcoming Hawks-Wizards first round playoff series. And then as a little bonus bit at the end, we'll hear from Hawk Jose Calderon on a first-round playoff series that involves two of his former international team teammates. Today's episode is brought to you by Poli Mortgage Group. Poli Mortgages. Rates. Integrity. Service. Standing of Locked on Wizards. Thanks for joining us, Ben. You ready for this playoff series?
1: I am. Thank, thanks for having me. Uh, I, You know, sort of mi- my, my own thinking of late has mirrored the Wizards play. It's sort of like, OK, we established the Wizards are really good and that they were probably going to get a home quarter advantage a long time ago. Let's get to the playoffs and let's see what's happening. So, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm ready to, uh, to get going here.
0: So you've been covering the Wizards for a long time. How long have you been following them?
1: Well, I grew up in the area and 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 was a fan and all that stuff. But I mean, you know, on the beat to varying levels, probably about the last decade. Okay,
0: so you've seen all of the uh, Randy Whitman era. How would you describe what Scott Brooks has been like for this team?
1: Well, I you know I think it, I think it cannot be understated or. It can't be overstated, or I don't know. It can't. It, it, everybody should appreciate how impressive Scott Brooks has been for for, for this team. You know, he and Randy Whitman—they're very different human beings, coming with di- different temperaments. I think it's also important to note how they actually work. Were, were the coach? In other words, Scott Brooks arrived here. actually, let me go to Whitman. Whitman took over as an interim coach when they fired uh, the late Flip Saunders, and the Wizards—you know—weren't very good when he was at the when, when he was there at the start of it because John Wall, Bradley Beal, and so on were young and learning and all that stuff. But over time, he got better, and this team got better. But the problem is, Randy Whitman never had a long-term deal. He was always sort of the year-to-year head coach. And he's an intense guy from the Bobby Knight School of Coaching. And he lived every possession, every quarter, every half, every game was the big thing. He would make significant rotation changes, it seemed like, from game to game, depending on what had just happened and that type of stuff. Scott Brooks arrived here with a five-year, thirty-five million dollar contract. He's not worrying about tomorrow, but also his temperament sure. is not worrying about tomorrow. He, he has said he thinks the best teams are the ones who have a plan. They go into a they, they, they go into a situation, they try to do what they think makes the most sense, and they don't try to lurch every time something goes wrong. And I think you put you you, you contrast those two things, and it just shows how the Wizards have evolved. They started two and eight. Everybody has talked about a hundred times but they didn't panic even with that start and they've had some other bad moments, but Scott Brooks has been able to keep them not just calm, but positive. And I really think, and, and they just like being around each other more. It feels like the looser vibe as a whole, I think because they're not feeling the grind of every minute, every possession, you know, they would practice a lot more under Whitman, especially after losses. I just think the the, the the pressure got dialed down a bit. And I think that's a lot to do with Scott Brooks. Okay.
0: I know uh, we in the media tend to focus a lot on starting lineups, but I want to ask you a little bit about the, the finishing lineup for the Wizards. Now, from the Hawks' point of view, they're probably going to have, you know, the, the two locks to be in the game at the end of games are Dennis Schroeder and Paul Millsap, and they're probably going to put Urson Ilyasova out there with Millsap as the other big, you know, they kind of alternate between power forward and center. And then they're going to be two wings out there. My guess is you, they're probably going to have Tim Hardaway Jr. out there for offense and Kent Bay's more, probably more than likely, as sort of a two way person. So if that's what the Hawks are rolling with late in games, what do you expect out of the Wizards?
1: So wait, so you had Dw- your front quarter is essentially Dwight Howard, Paul Millsap, and Ilyasova, more or less?
0: No, at the end of games. Dwight Howard usually sits. They like to play him and feature him more at the beginning of quarters. They like to try to use him as sort of a a foul magnet, you know, create some foul trouble, things like that. And then at the end of quarters, it's usually Millsapia-Liasova as the front court. Gotcha. And then Schroeder, Bazemore,
1: probably Hardaway. Gotcha. So the Wizards have been using Jan Mahimi more and more as sort of their end-of-game center. Okay. but obviously he's injured and it sounds like he'll miss at least a couple for the first couple games of the series and be re- re- reevaluated with a calf injury in a week to 10 days. So take him off the equation for now. If you're telling me Dwight Howard's not on the court, then that takes March and Gortat off the court for the Wizards, um, which is not, you know, Gortat's very effective, but that's not necessarily a bad thing for the Wizards. I mean, they have some other options. Um, you know, they would probably go either Markeith Morris as that small ball five with some combination of Otto Porter, Kelly Oubre, Boyan Bogdanovich at the forwards, and obviously Wall Beal backcourt. Kelly Oubre has played a lot more lately because he's been better defensively for the Wizards. Um, but Otto Porter and, and, and Bogdanovich give you much more of that three-point shot. So I think depending on what Scott Brooks is looking for in that moment, because Atlanta doesn't have that one go-to perimeter scorer, Oubre is effective defensively, but like, it's not like you guys have... Uh, you know, you see, like your Boston where you have Isaiah Thomas is the guy who, if you can stop him, you can maybe close down their offense. You don't have that guy on the, you know, on the, on the wing. So maybe Oubre doesn't play as much this series, maybe. Another okay. um, X factor that would that lineup would be Jason Smith, who has gone from a guy who, for his career, he's made more three-pointers this year than he had in his first, I think, eight years of his career. He's not just like taking a lot. He's making basically like 48% of them this year. Um, he and he's a seven footer, not a rim protector, but, you know, he'll, he's he, he's aggressive. He'll bang inside. So they can also go with him at that five. Keep Morris in the game um, to deal with Millsap and then just kind of go with either, you know, Porter, Ubre or Bogdanovich, depending on, uh, you know, what they think they need out of the three spot.
0: So Jason Smith is your Chris Humphreys. <laughs> he,
1: he is, he's kind of he,
0: done the same thing for the Hawks. Like he all of a sudden after 12 years in the NBA, he's like out there shooting three pointers.
1: Yeah right. Well, you know, I mean, obviously Chris Humphreys that, that that evolution really started when he was with the Wizards, sure, because he had literally had like hit like two or three in his whole career, <laughs> and, and then you know one summer like okay Chris go go start shooting it. Um, S- Smith has been kind of like that. I I think it's just he's got a, b- both of those guys are pretty good mid range shooters. Smith it just feels like it's just been much more of a comfortable move for him out to 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 go those extra few feet behind behind the line, and he's just been such a willing. Uh, off the ball player, he he understands his role, doesn't try to go beyond it, and um, you know when, when when he plays, good things honestly tend to happen. The only real question is defensively, you know, who's he matched up with, and, and how does he handle that end of the court?
0: Okay, um, I did a podcast way back, probably in October, with Kyle Weidai, and at that point in the season you know, what I was really intrigued with was the wizard's bench. Cause I was looking at Trey Burke and Marcus Thornton and thinking, wow, that's, that doesn't seem like that's going to work. <laughs> so I guess my question is how important is Boyan Bogdanovich now that they've made that trade and, and gotten him into the rotation?
1: Oh, well, I mean, it's a, it, it it is amazing how different the wizard's bench has looked these last 15, 20 games compared to the most of the year. Now, Taking Mahimi off of it, at least at the start, does change the look a little bit. But, I mean, for the first 40 or so games of the year, it was the Wizards' starting lineup would play 35 minutes each. They would get big leads. The bench would would blow them com- immediately, and the starters would <laughs> have to play heavy minutes to sort of save, save the game a lot. Um, and that happened for a long time. Then they eventually um, – they they, they you know they get Mahimi back. They make the trade. well first off Jason Smith was was terrible the first month or so of the year, then he started okay. making his shots. Oubre has been inconsistent throughout, but um but but he was playing minutes. But then they make the trade. They get Mahimi back. That helped a lot. Then they get make the trade for Bogdanovich and he was an insane three point shooter when he first arrived. He had like eight in one game, had a had a, had a couple in like the last like minute against Orlando to win a big game. Uh so he helped. Then they had Brandon Jennings, who's obviously a very erratic player but he gave i mean the scott brooks would come out and say trey burke is not a point guard and this was the guy who was the backup point guard (laughs) so the wizards really were playing with one point guard for most of the year brandon jennings he's got some you know he's 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 not been a very good shooter this year from from the perimeter he he can be uh he, he can force things way too much at times but he does give allow them to keep pushing the pace even when wall's not in the game and he is he has a you know embraced the you know, sort of past first aspect of that position more since he's been here. So you put all those pieces together and they've had, they've there've been times their bench has been steadier than the starting lineup. These last 20 or so games, no Mahimi is going to hurt that. But uh, yeah, the Bogdanovich was a definitely a big move for now. We'll see if the trade works out long-term They gave up a first round pick to do it. And he's a restricted free agent. We'll see if he comes back. But for now he gave them another shooter off the bench. And, and, and that definitely helped combined with these other guys all sort of either showing up or playing better about this around the same time.
0: Okay. Well, I've got a couple of questions here. I'm not really sure which order to ask them. in, so maybe I'll, I'll put them both out there and you can tackle them in some order. Um, I guess the two questions are, let me start with the first one. You know, early in the season, I asked Scott Brooks about staggering because I thought that maybe he might want to separate wall and Beal a little bit. And I would ask him, you know, whether or not he would stagger and how he would make that decision. And he kind of gave me a non-answer and it felt a little defensive, but, you know, first do the wizards do any staggering with, with wall and Beal, or do they pretty much do like hockey line changes with the bench? So that's the first question. And then the second question is just, you know, what kind of rotation is it? Is it nine man, 10 man, who's in it, and who's out of it?
1: So on the wall Beal thing during the regular season, like he would take, typically one of them would come out with about eight minutes to go in the first quarter. The other one would probably finish it. Most of the time, wall seemed to be the one that finished it and Beal would come in sort of earlier in the second quarter to be with the second unit, to give him a chance to sort of be the main guy. Okay. Um, so they they play mostly together, but but there's uh, at least a few minutes where one of them was on a court. I know that was a criticism a lot of times with of OKC, where there would be times where Westbrook and Durant would both be sitting. And right. that that has happened. For for, for for sure, but especially when the bench was bad, he was pretty much guaranteed to have at least one starter on the court with Markeith Morris sort of being the bridge to start the second quarter a lot of the times. Uh, okay. So he's also going to be a little staggering. Now, of course, the playoffs, I expect the Wall and Beal are going to play even more minutes, so I don't know how much time there's going to be for either one of them to be off the court. I mean, They could both play average 40 minutes in the series. It wouldn't surprise me um, at, at, at this point. As far as the rotation goes, You know, it's interesting because the only guy I would have said 100% was in the rotation before was Jan Mahimi, um, because the the Wizards are going to need Mahimi and and Gortat to battle Dwight Howard, and, and, and they're both the centers and both, you know, guys who can handle that spot. Everything else on some level is sort of dependent on the situation. Brandon Jennings will be in the rotation most likely as the backup point guard, but it's possible... Bradley Beal plays more minutes running the offense. He did against when when the Wizards played the Hawks that last time in the playoffs and Wall got hurt. Beal was the one who ended up taking more minutes at the point, and he's been okay. adept at that. So Jennings will play, but maybe he plays less. Oubre, I think, was falling out of the rotation until about a dozen games ago, and now he's gotten so much better on the on the, on uh, on both ends that you almost feel like he has to play. Jason Smith will end up playing now because Mahimi's been hurt, and Bogdanovich will, will definitely play, uh, but – You know, I guess if Atlanta goes big, the Wizards could be in a little bit of a uh, – it could end up maybe maybe being less minutes for Oubre or Bogdanovich. But I guess in a a roundabout way, I guess without Mahimi, I'm saying a nine-man rotation with Smith, Jennings, Oubre, and Bogdanovich as the guys off the bench.
0: Okay. I remember watching some of the early games against the Wizards this season, and it looked like – the Hawks had all kinds of trouble, especially, you know, keeping Otto Porter off the three-point line because, you know, if you watch the offense, it was a it was a pick and roll with John Wall. The Hawks would play over on the pick and roll, bring a third guy in to help, and then pass, pass, and then Porter's open in the corner, wide open for a three-pointer, and he's very good at making them. Um How do the Wizards do against switching defenses? Because I think since they've gotten Ursan Ilyasova at the end of quarters, the end of halves, they tend to go into that a little bit more and be a little bit more proficient at it as a means of keeping people off the three-point line.
1: So probably the biggest change between the Wizards in the pre-All-Star game and post-All-Star game probably has been what they've gotten from the three-point line from both Otto Porter and Markeith Morris. I mean, Otto Porter was leading the NBA in three-point shooting going into the All-Star break. Um, he finished, I think, fourth. But after the All-Star break, he only shot 34% from three. And I wouldn't even say it was just like, well, he was wide open and was missing. I just think teams did a much better job of, of getting him, uh, you know, of, of, of keeping him, uh from 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 getting those wide open shots, there were teams that came in earlier in the year who just flat out admitted, and Memphis, I remember in particular, saying that Otto Porter wasn't even in the game plan. The you know, and he and he killed them or a bunch of three pointers in, in a given game. Okay. Um, but he so he's taking fewer threes, and and so that's been uh, that that's been an issue. And and honestly, the games where John Wall ends up scoring a lot, it's often because not because he's turned into some ball hog, it's because the defenses are sort of letting him keep the ball, not trying to uh, not, not trying to let him d- drive and kick. And when he's taking more shots, it probably means that the defense is doing a good job of keeping the other guys down. And that tends to be when the Wizards are not at their best. When the ball is moving, which is when you know, Wall's passing it, that's when they're when they're good. And he's getting into guys like Porter and Morris. And Morris was a miserable three-point shooter in March. He's gotten better. He's been much better in April so far. Obviously, small sample size. Sure. Uh, so anyway, if, if, if Wall's getting into Morris and Porter deep, then Atlanta's messing up. Uh, defensively, and, and the Wizards should be able to take advantage of that. Okay.
0: What would you say are the the three things that are going to swing the series? If you had to kind of say, you know, this factor, this factor, this factor, these are the three most important things as far as who's going to win the
1: series. Sure. Um, well, you know, I guess, like, first off, um, you know, when, when these teams have met in the past and – uh, you guys had Jeff Teague, and you had Kyle Corver, and obviously Wall and Beal were younger. You know, it didn't feel like the Wizards had a big edge on the perimeter, necessarily. I, and, you know, you guys definitely had a big edge with Millsap and Horford, um, who's obviously not around anymore. But now, on paper, it just feels like Wall and Beal are so much better than any any two players that Atlanta puts out there. So it, it, as long as Wall and Beal, I think, are, 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 you know, are in fact, the better backcourt than uh, you know, Schroeder and, you know, w- w- whatever it is, uh, <laughs> Steph or, or,
0: probably or, a lot of Hardaway. Cause he's the yeah, one right away, right. who can really, you know, do things on offense. They have some options defensively, but he's like the one real true offensive threat that they have on the wing.
1: So, I mean, I think if wall and Beal do their thing, play at that all-star level, that they both have most of the year, then, uh, you know, I-, I think that is huge for the wizards. If they're not dominating that matchup, then I think they've, they've got problems. Um, to like, you know, sort of on the flip side of that, I think if Paul Millsap, whose was guys who's just been killing the wizards over the years, I, I said to somebody today, I think Mark Morris, if you pointed to any single particular matchup as to why the wizards acquired him, I almost feel like it was for Paul Millsap because <laughs> before Millsap would either take guys like big guys, like Nene outside or would go inside against like skinny guys like Otto Porter and he just could get what he wanted. Morris is, I think takes away his ability to sort of go anywhere at any time. So I think that'd be number two. And then lastly, the third one, you know, uh, uh, without, without knowing when Jan Mahimi is going to be back, Marcin Gortat has got to stay out of foul trouble. If he doesn't, I mean, Dwight Howard might get 20 rebounds a game because the Wizards just don't have a lot of beef inside. They basically, the only, the only big men they're going to have really are Gortat Morris and uh, Jason Smith. Uh, you know, really, you know, the, the only other big man they have really is a, uh, Rookie Daniel Ochefu, who played six games all year, he's a seven-foot rookie, but, you know, he didn't play. So okay. if Bortak gets in foul trouble and Mahimi's not back, then that could be uh, that could be problematic. All right.
0: Well, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, share your insight with us.
1: Hey, I'm uh, happy to do it, excited for the playoffs. <laughs> should be a uh, fun matchup, and uh, we'll see what happens.
0: All right. Thanks, man.
1: Have a good one.
0: Before we jump into the second little bonus bit of today's pod, I want to take a minute to talk about today's sponsor, Poli Mortgage Group. Poli Mortgage Group encourages people to shop rates when they're looking to refinance or buy a new home. They have some of the lowest rates in the country and some of the lowest closing costs too. They'll even give you a quote where they'll credit you money towards the closing costs or cover all of them. Check them out at www.polimortgage.com. That's www.polimortgage.com or call 781-232-8000. Make sure to tell them the ATL and 29 sent you to receive a credit of $50 towards your closing costs. Offers cannot be combined with other offers. Poli Mortgage's rates, integrity, service. All licensing information is in the show notes. Poli is an equal housing lender. About a year ago, Jose Calderon retired from international play with the Spanish national team, but I took an opportunity this week to ask him about the first round playoff series that pits two of his former Spanish teammates, Pau Gasol and his brother Marc Gasol. What do you think about Powell and Mark playing each other in the first-round series? It's always interesting. You know, brothers play. I don't know why it's always uh, something like that happens. It's nice. Two really good friends. Uh, let's see what happens. Uh, hopefully it's a good series for everybody to watch. And, uh, you know, love those two guys. So, anything is good. Thanks, man. You're welcome. So, there you have it. Spurs-Grizzlies is one of a number of entertaining playoff series. Before I let you go, I wanted to slip in some playoff predictions Starting in the East, I think Boston will win in six over the Bulls. I've got the Cavs in seven over the Pacers. The Raptors in seven over the Bucks, And the Hawks over the Wizards in six. Going to the West, we've got the MVP race slash playoff series where I think the Rockets will win in five. I think the Clippers will beat the Jazz in seven. I think the Warriors will sweep. And going back to that series that Jose just spoke about, I think the Spurs will win in seven in a grueling physical battle with the Grizzlies. A hearty bit of thanks to today's sponsor, Poli Mortgage Group. Poli Mortgages. Rates. Integrity. Service.